Good Humans is a proud member of Accidental Information. For more info, visit accidentalinformation.com. Hey, people of Earth. Welcome back. This is Good Humans. Uh, came in hot there. Um, hi. Thank you for coming back and for listening. Uh, I'm going to say what I say every week. I bet you guys know what I'm about to say. I'm very excited for you guys to hear this episode. I got to talk to one of my favorite musicians, and I think that's so cool. And I also think it's cool that he and I are friends now. Um, just a, such a great person, such a good, authentic, honest person. Um, and his music is amazing too. I'm excited for you to, to hear the episode. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you we have a Patreon page. We're doing some really cool stuff over there, I think. Um, we've got some t-shirts available, uh, access to full-length episodes, unedited episodes, uh, weekly hangouts, all kinds of stuff going on um, if you guys are into that. So check it out. Uh, with that, I think we can do some pretty cool stuff as a community for the community. Um, that's the goal anyway. So I would love for you guys to check it out. Consider signing up. Uh, it's patreon.com slash goodhumans. Um, and yeah, every little bit helps. Um, I'd love to, to do some cool stuff together. Um, and you might get a, a, a cool t-shirt out of it. Uh, so, you know, win-win. Um, so check it out. It's patreon.com slash goodhumans. My guest this week is Matt Hires. Matt Hires has been a musician uh, since way, way back um, in, I think, 2014. Might have been his first EP release. Uh, we talk about that in this episode, but... Um, I connected with Matt's music at a very crucial time in my life. If you lift, if you have listened to previous episodes of this podcast, you may be familiar with my summer of shit as I've dubbed it, uh, back in 2014 and Matt's music was instrumental, um, all the way back then. And, um, just a lot of really solid, uh, lyrics, um, and such a unique style. Uh, Matt's music is some of my favorite music, um, and I've been listening to him for a long time and I finally got to have a conversation with him, actually several conversations you'll find out in this episode as well. Um, we attempted this a few times, but, um, I just, I love Matt as a person, as a musician. Um, he's got a lot of really good ideas, um, has, has gone through some similar experiences as far as, uh, sort of deconstructing and reconstructing his faith and worldview. Um, and he's, he's just a very thoughtful uh, person. So, um, if you aren't familiar with him, I would love it if you went and checked out his music because it's, it's so good. And I, I think you'll love it too. So, uh, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Matt hires. Hello people of earth and welcome back. Wow. That was a rough. Hello. Uh, this is Good Humans. I already threw myself off. Uh, this is a podcast about exploring better ways to be human. My name's Josh. Um, I don't know how to intro my episodes after all this time, apparently. Uh, and joining me this week is Matt Hires, one of my favorite musicians. Hi, Matt. Josh, hey. Um, so happy to have you on the show. Um, love your music. Yeah. Uh, and we, um, so, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to say it full transparency. We've chatted already. Um, this is and, our third uh, try. 
Third try. Yeah. I think third time's a charm. So I think this is going to be the one. Yeah. Um, first time was my fault. Second time was, uh, was just bad internet. First time um, was so, what? Like two weeks ago? More than that. Uh, maybe a little more than that now. Second time was um, just like half an hour ago. So we're, yeah. Yeah. That was so mostly my fault. My internet <laughs> and my not re- just internet recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited to uh, not only to chat again, but to to hopefully introduce um, some of my audience to you if yeah. they haven't already heard your music, because um, I think everybody should hear your music. So I think um, so too. You I'm, know, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it. I I would assume that's why you're making it. Um, but we were just talking. So um, uh, your first your first EP came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and since then, you've you've been kind of like doing your thing, traveling, touring, um, recording albums and uh, opening for the likes of Matt Carney and Need to Breathe and Parachute, um, among others, Eric Hutchinson, yeah. um, which is super, super cool. So um, this is something that I did the first time we talked that I didn't do this last time because we just started shooting the shit and got into it. But um, if you don't mind, just tell us like. I, I usually have my guests. I just say like, tell us what we should know about you. Just like a whatever your elevator elevator pitches. Okay, man. Um, it doesn't have to be an elevator pitch, but just whatever you feel like we should know. Yeah, I um, am a singer songwriter. Been doing it for like twelve years now, and um, my latest release is called American Wilderness. It's I haven't released anything for a little while. That came out like two and a half years ago, but um, I did re-release it on vinyl. Um, like a month or two ago i have that tab pulled up on my computer right now it's It's i'm going to order it i'm really excited about it yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, i mostly just wanted a copy for myself um so i have 299 other copies available if anyone's (laughs) interested after this yeah (laughs) um but yeah i'm from florida uh i live in nashville now i've been here for about five years and um have loved being here. Most, I don't really play. I don't do like the Nashville thing. I don't do co-writes. I don't play in town much. Um, yeah. for me though, it's been great. Cause it's because I do like a lot of my income is from touring and it's way easier to tour out of Nashville than out of Tampa, Florida. Cause it takes four hours mm. just to get out of the state and the next, like yeah. the closest city, um, in another state is Atlanta, which is like a seven hour drive. So yeah, it's just a lot more yeah. I can get to easily being in Nashville and it's a great city to live in. So <laughs> dude, I love Nashville. I hope, I don't know if I'll be able to talk my wife into it, but she's sleeping right now. So she's not hearing me say this. Mm-hmm. I hope I'll be able to talk her into doing a stint in Nashville at some point, just like a year or two even. Yeah, dude. Um, I love it. Every time I'm there, I just love it so much. Uh, dude. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, and I, uh, so I think I told you this before too, but I, I discovered your music. American wilderness is my favorite album of yours musically. Um, and like lyrically, I have a lot of like nostalgic and emotional attachment to, uh, take us to the start. Yeah. Um, that's the first album of yours that I heard and I heard it at a pretty rough point in my life. Yeah. I remember you Um, saying like there was a, there was a summer back in 2014 where like everything just fell apart. I had, uh, I had a decent job, like managing a hotel. Um, and I quit that to, to go sing full time with a band. What band um, was that? 
So it was a Southern Gospel quartet, actually. Okay. Um, it's the it was the Blackwood Brothers was like the old old version, mm-hmm. and I think they're they were calling themselves the Blackwood Quartet back then. But, um, yeah. So like I I had quit my job to go sing with them, um, and then like within the span of a month, they like the dude was pretty shady, and so uh, while I was like packing up, like I packed up my whole apartment, like gave up my lease. And was actually moving to Nashville um, wow. to sing with this band. Were you married time. at the I'd time already, or no? I was not married. No. Okay. Um, so I was. Uh, I had. I had already done a month tour with them. Uh, went back home to pack up, and the day I was leaving, actually, to drive down to Nashville, uh, he told me they had hired somebody else. Um, wow. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, didn't tell me. <clears throat> so. Um, that happened. And then like within a two week span, uh, so I lost that job. I obviously lost my apartment. My girlfriend broke up with me and moved back to California. Um, so like everything just kind of fell apart and it was like right around then that I, I found your music somehow. I don't even remember how I found it. Um, honestly, I think what it was is that like, I was listening to some other artists, uh, and found you through like the, uh, fans also liked section on Spotify. Um, I found your music and it was like, I and I know like we talked about some of the lyrics that you wrote and and how I took them at the time um and how like that's not necessarily what you meant when you wrote them but um it was really that album specifically was really helpful to me so I'm I'm grateful for that good um so yeah, thank, thank you, you. Um, um that album just turned 10 on July 28th uh, oh, I did right a little on. like online um show where I played through the album and talked about some of the songs and stuff it was really fun I, I some of those that. songs I'm I hadn't I played it. in I hadn't played in years, so it was fun to kind of cool. revisit those. That's cool. Yeah. It's it's a really good album. So I, I've got a lot of emotional attachment to that album for sure. Um, American Wilderness, though, like that super resonates with me um, a lot. Not that your other stuff isn't good, too. I love it all. But uh, no, I yeah. mean, I, I, I know what you mean. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I said it already. That's my favorite album I've put out. So. That was my, cool. that's my, that's my only full length record I've put out independently since I was on. So I, I'm forgetting what I've said on, um, since we've been recording this podcast, or not, but I was on, ah, that's all right. yeah, I was on, <laughs> um, Atlantic records for six years. And then the past, yeah. like five or six years I've been independent. So that's, um, and I, I know I asked you this before too, but like the, so your, your first album was the, that live album album from hotel cafe. Yeah. Um, and there was like a couple of EPs. There was take us, to the, take us to the start. Uh, what is, was it hard being part of a, like a record label? And then like, was it also hard transitioning to independent? Yeah. I mean, there, there are pros and cons to each. Um, when I was on the label, it was nice. I mean, it was great having, um, just so many people and so many connections and stuff behind me uh like that's when i was able to get on a lot of those really good tours um but at the same time though being independent i was um it just allowed me to be so much more free in what i did like i if i had stayed on atlantic records my third record would not have been american wilderness i don't think i don't i think it would have turned it would have been something completely different and yeah i mean with the mostly like lyrical content i don't think that would have um been the direction they would have 
wanted me to go. <laughs> yeah, there's there's know. a lot of cooks, right? Like, um, yeah, because you're not just writing for yourself, right? If you're on a label, you're like, there's like a certain. Are they looking for like certain categories of songs, or like are they like mostly, are they getting as much? Yeah, like, mostly like as, relational kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone ever said that. Like, but I did a decent amount of co-writing, and that's typically like the direction that those would go. Um, honestly, like I, I also think that I was just, so I was signed when I was 22, which is not abnormal, but I was just inexperienced and young. And I think for most of the time, my time on that, I was on Atlantic, I didn't really know what kind of artist I wanted to be or like Mm -hmm. what my lane really was. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I know more now and um, that's kind of how like American wilderness was kind of defining for me. I kind of um, was able to, to find a voice, I think, I guess. Cool. Yeah. And this, I mean, I'm not trying to like do an expose on record (laughs) labels or whatever. No, Um, 90% of my time with them was great. Like people I worked with were were really awesome. And yeah. um, Yeah. I have no like ill feelings toward towards anyone <laughs> no for sure yeah just the um the artist side of me always wonders what it's like to have other hands in your art yeah um because i know i know it can be good because you've got like you've got more input you've got some experience you know hopefully behind you yeah and uh, and really the everything i recorded um while i was on atlantic was with a producer named eric ross out in los angeles and he was I, he was amazing, um, and I think he really helped me. You know, finally, dis- I I learned a lot from him and helped me finally discover like what kind of artist I wanted to be. <laughs> so you, yeah. I mean, you were able to use that time to like get the experience at least. Definitely, um, yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, I had a lot of really amazing experiences. Cool. Um, so American Wilderness, though, like. Uh, and I know you said your your like your voice and maybe your style has changed a little bit like over the years. Yeah. Um, I I feel like you've got like you've got a really unique sound, um, in a good way. <laughs> but like um, just like your voice and like the lyrics and the like the melodies and stuff that you write. Um, I said it before, but like I I feel like I hear a lot of Dylan in it. Um, there's there's a lot of like really soulful. Uh, well, it's just soulful, I guess. But American Wilderness specifically. Um resonates with me because um i told you this before too but it it sounds to me like an anti-gospel album not like in a demonic way like (laughs) like um like a sacrilegious way but like a uh like a anti um establishment uh like christianity if that makes sense like yeah definitely i i consider it my um my christian album but um most mainstream christians probably what yeah. you be into it. <laughs> it's like it's like it's great for like fringe Christianity. It's like great for like it, well, it was my it kind of like a lot of it was written through kind of a and we we talked about this the first time. Um we're both pastors kids. Mm-hmm. Grew up um our whole younger lives in um evangelical Christianity and it was, it, that was that record when I was writing it was like my um, kind of a deconstruction phase that I went through it kind of a lot of it, I guess I wrote pretty much all the songs after I moved to Nashville 
Um, and there was something, something about the move because I had both my wife and I grew up in Tampa, lived there our whole lives. There was something about letting go in that way and going mm-hmm. somewhere new that allowed me to sort of re-examine other parts of my life and see, I guess, kind of start to question what else I need to let go of. Um, yeah. That weird, like physical changes, mm-hmm. yeah, um, for sure. just in location can like open up so much else. I, uh, you know what it is about that album though? Like I I'm saying it's like anti-gospel, which I think, I think is, is at least partially true, like in the sensational way, I guess, but it just strikes me as extremely honest. Um, and not just about like your deconstruction and your experience, but I think is just as far as the like Christian experience as a whole goes, like Mm -hmm. there's so much in there, um, that speaks honestly about some of the ideas that are just sort of like spoon fed to you. If you grew up in Christianity for so long. And then like, if that, if you take just a couple steps back and look at them, honestly, it's like, Oh my, like, what, what are we doing with all this? Like, um, the, just like what's, what strikes me is that it's, it's so like, it's, it feels very raw, um, which I'm sure it, it is at least a little bit, but like, yeah, it just, it seems very honest. Like, and that's, that's a brave thing to do to like deconstruct. It's brave to deconstruct at all, but like to do it sort of publicly like that, like on an album is, is Uh, that's really brave. That's you're that's vulnerable. Yeah. I kind of, um, so we have a group here of like singer songwriter friends in Nashville. And we, um, during that, we, we've been pretty inconsistent with it over the past couple of years. But during that time, like right after kind of a bunch of us moved up here at the same time, some friends of mine and stuff. And we, um, we would get together once a month and have this group we called Scotch and songs. And we would, um, that's cool. We, I think the only time it was ever actually Scotch was the first one. And it was mostly like bourbon after that. But anyways, <laughs> we like share some drinks and share some, the, the idea is to share songs that you're, you, they don't even have to be totally finished. It's just whatever, like you're working on, then um and one of those very first times we got together my friend Rocco Wheeler we were talking about songwriting and he he was just talking about um that you should write songs you should be so vulnerable in songs in your songwriting that it can be like scary to sing in front of people and so I kind of I just really took that idea on when I was writing that record and a lot of the songs are you know, say some stuff that's, it can be, um, can be kind of scary to sing in front of folks. And stuff, yeah. But, um, well, especially if like, uh, especially with the knowledge that like people you grew up with or know yeah. are, are going to hear this and, and my parents, are, <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I completely relate with that. Knowing that your parents that was are going to hear this that was music on, at some the point. hardest aspect of it. What's that like? Is like, are they, are they slash, were they understanding? Um, I'm not trying to get you to talk shit about your pants either. Sorry. I'm fine with it. Um, on some levels, yes. On other levels, not as much. Um, I guess understandably. Yeah. So the record came out. I hadn't really, the only song that I had really let my parents hear before, um, the album was finished was, um, don't let your heart grow cold, which is the last one. Mm -hmm. And, 
I say some very loving things about my parents in that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I mean, you would, uh, I mean those things for sure. Um, but I was kind of nervous about the reaction to the rest of it. And so my record came out the end of, I forget the exact date, but the end of October, 2016. Then right after that was the election. Yeah. Um, and they, had, they came up to Nashville. I think it was the first time since the album was recorded. So it was just like all, it was like Trump stuff and mm-hmm. issues with the album and stuff just all at once. So there were a lot of, um, a lot of conversations about things. <laughs> yeah. So you were like, you were writing this album really like right up to release. Like this, this was like pretty fresh when it came out. Yeah. Well, I, um, I guess we started recording, um, I think it was January of that year. So it was mostly, two, okay. I wrote those songs throughout 2015 pretty much. Yeah. I, um, sorry, I was looking down and I was not ignoring you. I was actually looking up the lyrics um, oh, okay. to, to Holy War. Uh, cause I feel like on that album, I think Holy War is my, my favorite just because it's like, it's almost like a gut punch, like the whole album, like, and again, in a good way, I'm not like, yeah, like that one, that one's like, (laughs) that one goes hard. Like you take stabs like the whole album, but that one goes hard. And like, one of my favorite things that you say in that song is, um, like how it starts, like, uh, you'll never find it if you're always right. Like Mm -hmm. talking about like, you know, truth, like you got to seek it if you want to find talking about truth. Um, and you'll never find it if you're always right, which, which, um, I think we both know that, that Christianity is not always, uh, excited about questions. Um, so that, that one struck me, but like the, like to me, the real gut punch in the song is, um, you go into like a little, like a a line of my Jesus, I love thee. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you say, but sometimes it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And then you say, but sometimes it sucks to have to love you in America. Um, and I mean, like talk about relatable now even, but like that, like going through, having gone through my, and still in some ways going through my own deconstruction. Uh, but like when this album came out in 2000, 2017, um, I had been 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had been out quote unquote, um, for quite a while, um, still going to church, but like, it's, it's like a non-denominational, like much, much different than what we grew up in. And I like, I still find myself and at that point, especially, but I still find myself with these like weird, uh, like, like things have like dug so far into me that I don't even know they're there until I like stumble upon them. Okay. And that, and like, spe- I think especially growing up in Florida, like that's, you know, it's the South, like it's very conservative yeah. and like religion and patriotism are so tightly like wound and yeah. mixed I, uh, I that like sorry, hearing that line was like, no, I was just like hearing that line was like, holy shit. Like that's true. That's so true. Like we, we tie those together so much, but then we like, we bring all of it into politics and then we like, we advise our Christianity based on our politics. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you and, have, our, and our politics based on our Christianity. 
like in the church you grew up in, did you all have the um, voting guides? Yeah. So basically, like, yeah. To vote and they would always Republican. tell us, you know, it's funny. Yeah. They would always tell us like, um, now we're like, we're a, a nonprofit organization, like yeah. we're tax exempt. <laughs> we can't tell you how to vote, but we do have voting guides um, <laughs> with like where, you know, where these candidates stand on these like very specific issues, not not their abortion. whole platform, just these specific <laughs> issues. Yeah. Abortion and like, you know, gay marriage and whatever else yeah. um, was like hot at the time. But yeah, man, they would always like hand those out. Even like they even went as far, the church I went to in Indiana, which was like the hub of like the, the movement that I was a part of, um, they would even go as far as like having candidates come in and like speak for five or 10 minutes in the pulpit. Okay. Yeah, and it was never, never Democrats. That. Yeah, we never had that. Um, <laughs> I don't think my, yeah, my dad wouldn't have ever done that for sure. But yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's that bold. Little, that's a that bold move. Too far. Yeah. My dad didn't do that either. I was like, there was somebody else that was the pastor of that church, but okay. um, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a bit far to go. Did you, um, part of this deconstruction, I don't know if we talked about this, but like, was there, um, as you're sort of figuring this all out, actually I have two questions about this, but I'll start with this one. Was there like any part of you that was like angry that, that you had this, like such a small narrow view of the world for so long that you then had to like, consciously deconstruct i, guess I, I may a be projecting bit, but although like i my deconstruction was in a lot of ways subconscious because i was songwriting is in a lot of ways like therapy for me mm -hmm. um and i had all these as i was writing that album i had all these things come out that i on the surface i wasn't like i don't it, yeah, I don't think I was consciously deconstructing. And then I wrote this album and and like realizing in a lot of ways, like, oh, OK, this is it's like happening. Yeah. In real time. Yeah. Because um, that was the other question I had. Like, did you did you see this coming? Like, it, was this... so we had for the past, like, I don't I forget how long, maybe like two years that we lived um, in Tampa. We went to a really great church that we loved there. And I still really love it a lot. Um, and then right. We moved to Nashville. We started like church hopping and stuff. And I'm, that, I mean, honestly, that was part of the, what led to deconstruction too, because I, um, was just seeing the same thing in every church that we went to. Mm -hmm. And it was even churches that thought they were like cool churches. You realize like how limited their perspectives was on so many things and how it, it yeah. really wasn't that far off from like mainstream evangelicalism and stuff. Um, it's almost sad. Like, mm -hmm. um, cause like they, they really think that they're trying so hard and they are trying hard like yeah. for, for their experience. And then like you come in with an outside perspective and you see that that's what's happening and you just want to shake them and be like, this is not the point. Nobody that's coming here, like, is is coming here for this. Like, if yeah, you just be I, like especially genuine in the South, you know? I think so many people just go to church because they're that's what you that's what you do right. on Sunday. It's part of the culture. And we so then we kind of we just stopped going to church, which honestly is one of the best decisions I've made. I I don't have anything. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go to church, that's amazing. Do it. Um but I went to church every Sunday for my whole life. And it's been nice to have this period of my life where I have two Saturdays, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
dude i can relate 100 percent. we um we so. we go because her my brother-in-law goes uh-huh. um so we go with him every now and then though we play hooky and it's <laughs> it's nice you know and what's even nicer is like to not feel guilty about it yes yeah, yeah. um and i like the things that i would some of the things that are valuable about church, like community and stuff, we have an amazing community of friends up here. And, mm-hmm. um, and we like, we, we talk about like deep spiritual shit all the time. So like, yeah. I'm not, I don't feel anything lacking in my life for, just because I don't go to a specific location every Sunday morning. And a hundred percent. So I like, I have these conversations a lot like this, I think I told you the last time we talked, like this is kind of my obsession, at least like for the last like two or three years, like reading books about religion, the history of yeah, Christianity I mean, yeah, specifically, but like other things. And, um, and we talked about Pete Holmes's podcast, um, a little bit too, which was like a huge yeah. part of that for me. Um, but yeah, so I like, I, it's not that I'm not interested in this stuff and it's not that I don't think about it or talk about it mm-hmm. or study it. Um, but the idea that you have to go to a, a specific building with specific people and have one specific person tell you how to interpret all of it is, is a little bit crazy. Yeah. And I don't think so. The first time we chatted, I don't had either of us read Pete Holmes book at that point. No. Have you, have you read it since? Yeah. Have you, I'm about halfway through. Okay. So, I mean, he's talking about, and I identified with this so, so hard, like just the, um, the idea of, how do you say it? Like the, what is this? Like what's mm-hmm. going on? Always being, always being like curious about what's going on here. And that's what got him into Christianity in the first place. And yep. that's like, he was like, that's all I ever want to talk about. Like it's yeah, what I'm thinking about most of the time. And I feel the exact same way. Um, it's literally the most important question yeah. that there is, I think. And the so, weirdest like, question, because what is going on here? Like this is, yeah, like we walk through our lives like all of this is normal, but dude, everything I, is weird, <laughs> man. So I'm so happy to hear somebody else say that. Like, and I know Pete talks about it too, but like, I there's, I struggle with this all the time because like we, if you're if you're raised in evangelical Christianity, you're taught that the reason any of this exists is God created it, mm-hmm. and God created humans to have communion with humans in a right? weird way that takes the magic out of it it does right? that's that's it what i struggle with because kind of did it's like because my problem is we we read the bible not just evangelical christians i think everybody is is guilty of this to some extent but like mm-hmm. we read it through a like 29 like now it's 2019 we read it through a 2019 yeah lens yeah and we're not like most of us are not doing the work to understand what was happening at the time it was written. Mm-hmm. And so we don't understand the God that they're describing because we're, we're using all of that, like, and, and building a God in the image of 2019 totally. version. Mm-hmm. And what, what wigs me out so much, I think is the fact that like we, there's this God that's described in the Bible and like, if you read the Bible, like all the way through, there's like an evolving perception of God that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, it's not that God's changing. It's that like 
man's perception of God is changing. Right. I think because um, whether you want to admit it or not, God kind of changes throughout the Bible. Oh, a hundred percent. Like God, like Moses talks God into like not massacring like thousands and thousands of people. Like, uh, I think uh, it, so there was a scandal in was some small Tennessee town recently where it was a, um, a dude who was, I think he was a detective in the police department there, but he was preaching at a church on Sunday and he was preaching out of Leviticus. Basically, I mean, saying what it said in Leviticus that if two dudes sleep together, then they should be I remember this. killed. Yeah. So if you think, I mean, I think even most Christians today would say, oh no, that we shouldn't do that. So mm. you kind of have the to- ones, the ones I grew up with would, they I mean, still obviously take this guy, literally. this guy was taking it literally too, but yeah. I feel like the vast majority of I people think right, yeah. would say, oh, that's messed up. So yeah. you have to agree that. Yeah. And I like, so I talk to people about that, right? Like God, if you, if like, if you're reading the Bible, just literally, like if you're just reading the words on the page and only going in English that deep, in 2019, <laughs> exactly in English in a translated version, that's like a post with a post enlightenment brain and way of thinking, right. <laughs> then yes, God is calling for the massacre of any, anybody that's part of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. However, like we're also using that understanding of God to understand God. Like, yeah, God is just a, God is just an all powerful version of us. Like, yeah, that version of God is, is obsessed with the fact that like we either accept him or not. Mm -hmm. So he's like this petty, jealous person. Um, and like, but at the same time, he's supposed to be like the ultimate father and like take care of us. And, you know, like, I remember talking about this the first time we, we chatted, like, yeah. You can't honestly believe in a loving God and believe in hell. You can't. Right. Like that's that would mean the vast 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 majority of humans yeah. throughout throughout history are currently burning alive mm-hmm. and will continue to do so indefinitely. Like that yeah, I, I, I wouldn't yeah, wish I I that upon you. anyone. Like, no, 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 no. And if I there, feel there are that people one. that I don't care for, but I wouldn't I would not sentence them to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, oh, sorry, I cut you off, but I think I know where you're going. If we feel like that about our worst enemies, yeah. how would a perfect loving you, God yeah. feel like that about anyone? Yeah. It's dude, it's crazy. Bonkers. I think I told you, but I like, I remember when I was, when I was younger, I would lay in bed at night, unable to sleep because I would like all that would be going through my mind is if this is actually true and people are dying and going to a place where they burn forever and ever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Why are we not always telling people about this like why does anybody have any job other than that like why like why am i sleeping right now like why are we ever doing anything else yeah and like i i think the honest answer is because like even they don't really believe it yeah it has to be right you know like because if you did really believe it like you you'd be living i think a lot differently um but like so we use that understanding of god to like, then God is just this like superhuman human, but like all powerful human mm-hmm. type of being. And then that, that like messes with like, why, like, why would that being then? Well, it, it totally makes sense, right? That that being would create other beings that would worship him because he's petty and needs <laughs> to be worshiped. Right. 
Yeah. So like you have that like understanding of the world and it's really easy to hang like all of reality on the fact that an all powerful being created it. So done end of story. But then you have like the other explanation is evolution and like science says, this is our theory. We think it's a pretty good one, but we really have no idea Mm -hmm. what the nature of reality is. And I struggle with that all the time. I, Cause I'm like, how can we not know? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And, and like, what the hell is the point then? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't believe the version I was given growing up, mm-hmm. but like, you know, then, it, then it like, it raises all these questions about like purpose and like morality and, you know, like, like what, like, like you said, like what is going on? <laughs> it's the biggest question. There's something I've been thinking about recently, especially after reading like, um, that Pete Holmes book and Michael Gunger's new book, this, um, mm-hmm. kind of thinking about how, like, it seems to me like most of the mystical side of any world religion, when you kind of dig, when you dig into it, they're kind of all saying the same thing, but with different language. Yeah. Um, and one of those things is, I mean, it's what Michael Gunger's book is pretty much all about. Like that this, this moment is all there is and talking about like oneness and stuff, the oneness of the universe and something that had never occurred to me that I just have been thinking about recently was that science points to that too. Like the big bang, like we were all of this, all of this matter, like was literally one thing. It was all together. Yeah. And, and the universe still exists in relationship. Like nothing is out of, everything kind of depends on everything else, the way it's interconnected. And so you could translate if you want to take the step to translate relationship, everything being in relationship to everything being in love and being held together in love. Yeah. You can, if you want to make that step, but yeah, it's pretty easy. (laughs) I, um, you know, where I've been landing lately is, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like, I have a, I have a tattoo that says Veritas, which is, Mm -hmm truth in Latin. Um, cause I, like, I think without realizing it for a lot of my life, I've just been searching f- for truth yeah, or same. wondering if it even exists, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I'm still not exactly sure where I land on that, but like, I'm pretty committed to not ever stopping looking for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where I've landed lately is the idea of whether or not something is useful or constructive. I yeah. maybe would be a better word. So if it's constructive for you to perceive the universe as being held together and sort of engulfed and embraced by love, then great. That's wonderful. And if that, if that's constructive for you, if that helps you totally, and if that helps you help other people, then great. If church or Christianity is what helps you do that, then great. If Buddhism or Whatever, like if yeah. that's helping you do that, if that's constructive, then great. But I, I think the like the flip side of that is the the acceptance um, and ability to like also hold the idea that we don't really know what's going on. So you know, like these are the ideas I'm operating from. Mm-hmm. But if you're operating from different ideas, that's fine. Yeah, because neither one of us knows what's going yeah, on. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I like that idea of um, 
like there, I'm, there are a lot of, I mean, I, my things I believe or don't believe or whatever are probably very different from my parents now. But mm-hmm. I think that the, their belief compels them to do a lot of really great, amazing things in the world. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, if, well, sorry, I'm blank. What was the word you used? Yeah. If it, if it helps, helps you be constructive and mm-hmm. more loving, um, in the world, then that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just, I think a lot about like whether something is true, but then my very next thought is like, well, is it useful, mm-hmm. um, or helpful, but yeah, man. Then maybe um, it, maybe it is true in like a deep sense of truth. Like a right. Yeah. Truth. Like again, de- yeah. Depending on how you're defining truth, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it like, is there such a thing even as objective truth? But like, you know, uh, well, I mean, relating, just relating directly back to like art or like songwriting or, or whatever kind of art you want to talk about. Like nobody's looking at a poem and going, or a song and going, well, is it true? Mm-hmm. Like, because that's not the point. Like it is true. Absolutely. It's true. Like from like, a, like you said, a very deep sense, like you're, and if it's personal, then like, obviously it's true from an experiential standpoint too, for, for the, for the writer. But like, I can hear, you know, a song on American wilderness, for example, and think, oh my gosh, like that is truth. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not because like, I've literally seen some of those events take place. Like those, a lot of it's like, you know, hyperbole and fictionalized and whatever, but the truth is the what resonates. It's it's the it's the ideas and the philosophy yeah. and the, you know all that. I've come to think recently that whatever like deep universal truth that we're kind of trying to talk about here can't really be that language is a is a poor tool to try to to yeah. to, to fully reach it. Language can only kind of circle around it. Yeah. I think that's what um, that's what a lot of songs are trying to do and a lot of poets are trying to do. They can kind of circle around it and get close to where you can kind of feel what – I know this is all very yeah. like ethereal, whatever sounding. Yeah, I – Because I'm using language to try to exactly. say it and it, it can't quite get there. Yeah, I d- and like to come full circle, like I think that's what I was trying to get at with like – talking about this like weird version of God that we've constructed Mm -hmm. and, and some of us believe in, I think what takes the magic away is the fact that like you can understand that being Mm -hmm. and you're talking, you can describe it. You're talking, sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Whenever you talk about God, you're talking about mystery. And when you try to define it too much is when you get into the weeds, I think Pete Holmes says in the book, I think he talks more spiritual stuff in the um the back half, so you're kind of mm-hmm. getting there. But um, the and I I wasn't quite sure what he meant at first when he said this, but he described God as, and I think he said this on the podcast, but a metaphor for a mystery. Yeah, I've always been. So how could God just be a metaphor? Does that mean it's not a real thing? And it's like, no, that's not what he's saying. He, like if you ask pretty much anybody on Earth to describe God, you'd get. 7 billion, however many people on earth, different answers. <laughs> yeah. So how can it be anything but mystery? God is like the, the blanket that we throw over the mystery to try to give it shape. Um, yeah. Is what he says in the book. I remember hearing, um, 
I read a book a while back called Bitten by a Camel by a guy named Kent Dobson. Okay. And he was on Rob Bell's podcast. And I remember him talking about there's like a mystical like vein or branch of Christianity. And I can't remember the name of it, but he said they're operating like philosophy or question. Like everybody talks about what God is Mm -hmm. and they're operating question or philosophy is what is he not. And so like we like we talk about him as if we talk about God as if he's a him or he's a father or like oh, God whatever. has a penis for sure. And yeah, a hundred percent. And he said their thing is like, what is what is God not uh, like? What are all the things that he is not or what is mm. what are all the things that it is not? And he said that that opens up like this whole other side of the conversation about um, well, we know God is not a he because God's not human right um like god is not human god is not so then therefore god is not a father god is not so then it like it opens up this whole other line of thinking about like shit we have no idea like we haven't even scratched the surface but as soon as you can like put it in a box and describe it and define it Mm -hmm. and talk about all of its characteristics and how it's going to be and predict every way it's going to react i'm just not i i'm not interested anymore i'm i'm like I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Because I, I'm realizing, um, that I think the thing that I've, that has fascinated me my whole life is the mystery of it. And so when you take away a good chunk of that, then it just becomes uninteresting. Yeah. And I think, I think some people listening, um, especially people that lean a little more conservative, mm-hmm are listening to this conversation going, well, it's like all this is a cop out for like, yeah, I mean being however you want to be, yeah, which is fine. I I, I understand 10 years ago. I totally would have a hundred percent. So me too. And so I understand that, that the direction you're coming from, I would just say, I don't, I'm trying to think of how to word this authentically. (laughs) I believe almost nothing that I was raised to believe about all of this. Okay. But I still firmly believe that there is something going on that is on purpose and that I have a part to play Mm -hmm. and that I am supposed to be a good, caring, loving human being to to everyone else. Yeah. And I don't need the King James Bible to tell me that. And I don't like, I don't need a a pastor in a pulpit to tell me that. Um, And if that's what they're telling people, then great. That's I'm, I applaud that. I think that's good, but you know what I mean? Like there's, um, there's this part of me that like, I, I kind of rebel against the idea that like one is necessary for the other. I just don't think that's true. Are you familiar with Richard Rohr? Yes, so I love him. He has that idea of like to transcend and include. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're not, you know, and there was a time where I feel like I did this through deconstruction, just like shit on the church all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely, I've definitely done my fair share of that too. Yeah. I think I still do from time to time. But I'm learning to see the value in a lot of, um, I mean, I, just to be, like handed, um, like hand, what I was given 
what I grew up with, I wouldn't be where I am now without that. So I can, yeah. Um, that's, that's actually a way where I've been able to like forgive a lot of it and, mm. um, yeah, see kind of, that's the, a good point. That's a good point. Like, I, I guess that goes back to like the idea of it being useful mm-hmm. at least for a while. Yeah. Um, so yeah, finding value in it because it, you, you would not be who or where you are probably without it. That's, that's fair. I think for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. That's, that gives me something to, to think about. Uh, I like that. Um, man, I man, was we, speaking of Richard Rohr. Um, I was listening the first time I ever listened to him or heard of him was on Pete Holmes podcast. And yes, same. I knew that I needed to dig deeper right when he said, he basically quoted some of my own lyrics to me. <laughs> Not like he wasn't quoting oh, my lyrics, Nice, but he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, the song, from American Wilderness called The Wilderness. The first chorus is, are you in, are you out, going up, going down? Yeah. Is this the wrong conversation? Just an easy way out. Um, yep. And he basically said that, he was saying like, all this talk of who's in or who's out, who's going up and going down. <laughs> I was trying to talk like him. That's a great impression. <laughs> um, I was like, oh man, okay. I need to check this guy out. <laughs> yeah, man. I like the idea of, um, th- there's so much of like this, we're we're so firmly in the grasp of these like dichotomies and we like we can't mm-hmm. seem to to get out uh but the idea of transcending and including like mm-hmm. i don't really need this anymore but like sure why not like that too you know yeah other people um, may need it and it might be constructive for them at this part in their life so right that doesn't but, mean like, you you shouldn't still like call out um ways that the church or whatever, whatever is causing like injustices in the world. Like that's still, um, you know, needs to be addressed. Yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah, for sure. Like basic, basic human decency and like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, still, still needs to be followed for sure. But like the idea that the idea that, uh, we're getting so wrapped up in something that is like, we're, we're playing a whole different game than, than what actually is the thing I think. Yeah. Um, and that's why, like I said before, I, I do at least from what I am starting to see, it seems to me like the mystical heart of each religion is kind of circling around the same thing, which mm-hmm. makes total sense because if when you're talking about universal truth, it's true everywhere. So just yeah. because somebody's born in India doesn't mean they don't have access to that truth. Yeah. Um, and you know it when you hear it. Yeah. Which is the beautiful thing. People of Earth, this episode of Good Humans is brought to you by Accidental Information. Accidental Information is an amazing inspirational organization that is actually run by Christopher Swan, who was a guest in last season of this show. What he's doing with this organization is helping each and every one of us celebrate what makes us different and then use that to improve our personal lives and our careers. I love this organization so much, and it's not just because we just joined their podcast network. It's because each and every article and show that they have contains directly applicable and practical advice that will improve your personal life or your career. I love the articles that they post, such as how binge watching helps you live a better life, 
five amazing people who have used adversity to spark creativity, five ways to learn from every podcast you hear, how to tap into your creativity, and so many more. If you're interested, you should check out accidentalinformation.com and tell them good humans sent you. I was just, I, so I recently started therapy, um, which has been amazing, uh, to talk about some of this. Um, and like one of the things I I talked to my therapist about is the fact that I like, I'm terrible at picking up on social cues. Like, uh, I got, I got good at making conversation, but it was like, it was a a consciously acquired skill, like the course of my whole life. But like, I don't, I don't intuit things very well. I don't like pick up on social cues, um, very well, especially in a group setting. But like the, the idea that even somebody like me who doesn't pick up on social cues and like, isn't super good at, at that stuff can hear something from someone and know like, Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. That, that is true. Um, and then can hear other things and be like that you're just talking to fill time or, you know, like (laughs) you can, you can tell a difference and all of us can, can hear that. I think, um, And Which I, found, I, th- I th- also speaks to the fact that there is there's something else happening. Mm-hmm. And I uh, something that I don't know if you can relate to this or not. Something that I've started to realize is I can hear some of the some I don't know voices from evangelical Christianity that I used to like really admire, respect, and let's do it like a John Piper or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can hear or read like something from them now and fully agree with it, but not in the way that they mean it. Like I agree with the words that you're saying, but not how you mean them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a weird way. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's like, it's like reading the Bible, right? Like you can read the same passage. Two people can read the same passage and think completely different things. Totally. Yeah. I've had that happen. Do you find yourself getting frustrated? Um, when you hear certain speakers or like pastors specifically when they're talking and you're like, okay, like stay with this and please like see it all the way through, please just once please. Mm -hmm. And they like, they always like stop short. Like for sure. Like right where like they, they go right up to the line where they know it's okay to go and then they don't go past it. Mm -hmm. And you know that they know the rest of it. Yeah, maybe like that gets so frustrating to me because like to me, maybe I'm just skeptical, but like to me, there's no way you're there's no way you do this for a living. Like you study this five, six days a week. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not a pastor, like I read in my spare time, but like, yeah, I know that like I know that there's more like I know that you should be taking this further and then they don't like. I get so frustrated with that. Yeah. I, oh, where's it? I was just going to say something. Oh, it, that what you're just saying reminded me of the, the season one finale of crashing. Yes. Where the baptism, the whole baptism scene. Yeah. Yeah. Where the pastor, he's talking and he starts going off on this whole thing about baptism and stuff. And it's like this beautiful, transcendent, mm-hmm. wonderful thing. And he does that. He cuts short and he, goes back to like drawing lines and like us versus them kind of thinking. And you're just like, Oh, I mean, intentionally it was written that way. Yeah. But it's basically what you were just describing where it's like, yes, yes, yes. All this is wonderful. And yeah, I had, 
I'd forgotten about that. Like there are so many times, um, you know what, to be honest, just this, just this past Sunday, uh, I, I found myself extremely angry sitting and listening to the sermon, but like, there's so many times where I'll go and I'm like, this is fine. You know, like I'm sure there's somebody in the room that needs to hear this. Yeah. And there's other times that I'll go and I just get angry because I know that the person speaking is not, is not going far enough. Like they're not being genuine. Like there's, there's something that's being held back. So and the only reason it's being held back. You think that's usually what the case is and not that they in their own mind can only go up to a certain point. Uh, that's definitely possible. Like if, if, uh, if like completely like, um, you know, like understanding nice Josh is talking, that's, that's a hundred percent a possibility. Um, you know, serene, completely like centered Josh skeptical. Josh says, there's no way I know this. And you don't Hmm. like you do this for a living. Yeah. So what, what I end up believing most of the time is that they know that there's a line they can't cross because they have to have people in seats every Sunday. Yeah, man. I, I, I lean, I guess that there's probably some of each, some of both of those there probably things happening. Is. Yeah. Cause there, I, I mean, I think, there's definitely like the, I think last time we talked about the liturgist podcast too. Um, yeah. So when was it? At some point, I guess science Mike said he had a lot of, I forget what episode it was after but they had so maybe it was the one where they talked each talked about their experience of um, losing faith and then kind of weirdly mm-hmm. coming back to it. But that he gets so many emails from pastors who are like, I don't believe any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so well, you definitely like, do have that. Um, but then I think there, are, I think there are some people that will only let themselves go. to. A you know what? Point. That's, that's fair. That's a fair way to look at it. Cause like there's, there's definitely like, um, I, and I know I've done it before. Like there's a conscious decision. There's like the knowledge that there may be more and you choose to stop just so like, I'd rather not know that type mm-hmm. of. And honestly, of like, cause this, I, I, maybe I'm saying this cause I think this, I think I did that a lot mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, I definitely have. And I think the, uh, some of that comes from like the fear of hell. Um, yeah. And that like, you you're like, Ooh, that if I, if I go there, am I going to burn forever? Um, Dude, there's definitely a fear so. of like, if, if I go too far, w- so we talked about this too, like the death of God moment, like the, once you like see behind the curtain, you can't unsee mm-hmm. that. And so there is the fear that if you go too far, then you're just out in the cold and like, you can't go back to believing all that stuff genuinely anymore. So then like, you're not part of the in crowd there, yeah. but like, you're also, you're in this weird space. Like, you don't have anywhere else to go. So then you're just sort of like all alone. In this, I, like, I weird feel space. so fortunate in that mo- a good majority of my close friends, we all kind of went through this at a similar time. Um, yeah. And so I feel like, like I said, we talk about this stuff a lot too. So I feel, I feel more like spiritually fulfilled than I ever have in my life. Um, yeah. I would, I would say, I would say the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, a, a few friends that have, have 
chosen to explore some of this stuff to you. It's you have to have somebody to talk to about this. Yeah. Otherwise you're you'll go crazy. <laughs> so listeners, if you're going through this, um reach out to one of us because I'm sure <laughs> we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, send me a message um, on social media or something. <laughs> well yeah, that wasn't fair of me. I spoke for you. No, Matt. I I don't do mind talk about talking to people, people but because I mean people because American wilderness is what it is, it kind of opens up the door to a lot of these kinds of conversations. So yeah, man. At shows I, and online, I talk to people about whatever. So, so this, this relates to one of the other things that I wanted to make sure we talked about too. Like we talked about the fact that American wilderness is, is a pretty vulnerable record. Um, and the idea of like writing from a vulnerable place and just kind of being honest with what you're feeling. And then that, that comes out in the lyrics and then hopefully it resonates, which I think the more honest you are and vulnerable you are, the, the more it probably does resonate with people. Yeah. But how do you, as a songwriter or just as a, a human in general, like how do you get to a place where you're okay with saying things that you're not sure other people are going to be okay with? I don't know. Like, is, is there a fear? <laughs> is there a fear that you like write something and then people are like, Whoa, like there, not I on guess board there kind of was, I, um, that album, I, I've only recently started kind of writing again. Because the album took so much out of me, um, and I yeah, want I can understand that the next thing. It kind of so the song "Don't Let Your Heart Grow Cold" at the end of American Wilderness is kind of like the the upswing, the beginning of the upswing. Um, did you? I don't know why I just thought of this. Did you ever see Manchester by the Sea? Yes. Super depressing movie, like the whole way. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, thing. I didn't like it. It's, but. <laughs> it's like there's all the, I'm not saying my album is necessarily the same way, but so depressing throughout. Then right at the very end, there's just this hint of mm-hmm. things getting better, of like an upswing, and then the credits roll. Yeah. Sort of that's what like, don't let your heart grow cold. Is. It's like the whole album is deconstruction, and then like, eh, you get that little hint of it right at the end. So I, I, yeah. I'm saying that to say that I want my next, whatever the next project is, whether it's an EP or full, another full length or whatever, to be a more like reconstructed view of the world. Um, so that's kind of what I'm working on now. So the, um, the idea then of like, uh, that's interesting by the way, that like, um, cause I, I've talked about this with people too. Um, I have a question that I'm going to ask, but okay. I, I want to stay on this while we're on it. Okay. The idea that like that song is at the end of the album on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. I like to listen to, to albums. So I don't, I don't like to listen to like, I don't put my iPod on shuffle. I don't put Spotify on yeah, shuffle. Um, if I'm going to listen to an artist, I like to listen to that artist. And specifically like, I don't like to even like listen to singles by the artist. Usually I'll listen to like a full album Yeah, and I listen to it in order and I do it because I feel like usually an artist, there's a reason that those specific songs mm-hmm. are in that specific order. I spend way too much time on that, considering that we're both probably in the minority in that we lis- we like to listen to albums like that. Yeah. But I do it for you. I do it okay, for good. you. Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it because it, it definitely makes sense and matters <laughs> to me. But like the um, – yeah, because I feel like a lot of a lot of people don't consume music that way, especially with iTunes the way it went, um, which is apparently going away now, yeah. which is weird. We should talk about that too. But um the yeah, the idea of like purchasing just buying singles and like I'd see my friends like phones or iPods, uh, back when iPods were still a thing, and 
I would be like, I, I'd be appalled. Like they would just have like one song from yeah. like all these artists. And I'm like, what are you doing? I guess I like, did oh, that it's, just a, it's a good song. Like back in the um, like Napster days and Morpheus See, and LimeWire and all that stuff. I, I don't would, think I've ever done that. Okay. I would make like mix CDs back then. Yeah. I don't think I ever did that. I, I definitely like listen to other people's mix CDs, but like, even back then, dude, even all the way back to the days of like when all I would listen to is Southern gospel. Cause that's all I was allowed to listen to. Like so I would listen to full listen, albums. You couldn't listen to like contemporary Christian music. No, like, no. I listened to, I could only listen to Christian, <clears throat> Christian music, but I listened to like anything like MXPX or like even like Christian sure. metal bands and stuff like that. Sela and like all that, um, mm-hmm. all that jazz. Yeah. So, I, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I knew who all those were. We were definitely not allowed to listen to those. Mm-hmm. Most Southern Gospel, we weren't even allowed to listen to. Like oh, there why? was there was a yeah there was a big prohibition against like drums, um, okay. specifically like my guitar dad, was so, like on the edge. My dad was he's he he's a drummer, and um, he was sort of on the forefront of contemporary Christian music. He was in a band um, back in the seventies. And he said sometimes That's they would go, cool. they'd go into churches and people would not be into yeah. the fact that he was playing drums in there. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. Especially in the seventies. Like that's um he's definitely on the cutting edge in the seventies, mm-hmm. like playing contemporary music. Yeah. yeah, man, it's it's weird. But like, so what is all that to say, like you're so you're putting these songs in a specific order for a reason. So we know why Don't Let Your Heart Go Cold Grow Cold is the last song of the album mm-hmm. what's like what's the thought process behind like choosing which song goes where and do you know sort of where in the flow you want a song while you're writing it or are you sort of looking at all of it after you're finished with it and and usually it's it? when i finish when i wrote don't let your heart go cold i wrote it as the last song on the album like i specifically did that um i'm trying to think what else the wilderness was that was the it's funny because the album's called american wilderness yeah that just came from the the line in the first song, Fighting a Ghost. Um, mm. But I wrote The Wilderness specifically to fill like a, a certain sonic part of the album and to kind of be around like mid to, mid to late. Um, I don't know. Some of it's lyrics. Some of it is just the musical flow of the album too. I, and I definitely, it's funny because I didn't actually press that album to vinyl until recently but i wrote it with like side a side b kind of flow to it oh interesting i miss that stuff i miss it, like because so a side a it. ends with glory bound and side b begins with begin again that was intentional. Got it. yeah because that's a whole other dynamic mm-hmm. like i actually there's... i've done most of my albums that way if you listen to them maybe you'll pick up on it um because i was always hoping I, like my other two full-length records were with Atlantic, and I was always hoping we'd do like a vinyl release, but could never convince anyone to throw the money into that because it's ex- expensive to. Yeah, to make I bet. Vinyl. And it's it's kind of a niche market, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is factual, but now vinyl sales vinyl sales are higher than CDs for the first time in a while. Um, oh, I believe that. And I see. Sure. I definitely since having physical copies of this on vinyl, I um, definitely sell more copies of that than I do CDs at shows. Right on. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I saw that there was a CD available on the website too. And I actually, now that you're saying this, I remember thinking to myself, like, 
does do people still buy CDs? That's <laughs> that's interesting. Like uh, probably um, my next release will be the first one that I don't. Um, I I I can't see myself making physical copies of CDs. Like I skip just it. Won't even for know. like to sell at shows. Do you like do you sell albums? I at do shows some. Stuff, so or? I do a thing at shows for people that don't buy CDs. It's called an all access pass, and it looks like a lanyard with a thing. On. It looks like something that would get you backstage. But oh, it's cool. just a, a way to, um, on the back, there's like a download code and stuff. So it's cool. a way to buy all my songs. It's like, I sell it as like, it's 43 songs for 25 bucks and there's some unreleased songs on there. And that's a way to get people to still, um, A, have something to purchase at a show for people yeah. that don't buy CDs. And B, most people that don't buy CDs stream and I don't really make much off of that at all. So, yeah, um, yeah. So it's a, it's twenty five dollars for forty three songs doesn't seem that great for me, but it's I mean it's way better than streaming. So yeah, I was gonna say that's definitely a, a good deal for the for the. It's kind of a win. I feel like it's a good deal purchase. for both of us. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, if you're good with it, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to get uh, American Wilderness on vinyl. The um, so the other thing that I was gonna ask you about is when you're so like you're at, at this point in your career, like you're trying to be more, more um, truthful and, and vulnerable mm-hmm. and authentic um, with what you write, which I love that. Um, and it, like, it's, it's always interesting to find out like some of the stories behind like the songs that artists write. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just makes things more relatable, but uh I want to make sure we touch on this too. Um, I think we talked about this last time we chatted, but the idea of artists and art and how it relates to society um, and the way it influences society specifically uh, and whether or not, first of all, whether or not artists have a responsibility to consider that when they are creating their art. Um, But also like whatever, what that looks like if, if that is the case, like if artists do need to consider that, what does that look like? And I, I don't yeah, necessarily I have a, I, an opinion I responded to this last time. I like, I don't feel, I think some, and maybe we, you wouldn't even call it art. Like some music is just entertainment and that's fine. Like Katy Perry, mm-hmm. she's not meant to be like saying something she's meant to. Yeah, like help people have a good time, and that's fine. Um, I mean, yeah, that, I, w- use, I wouldn't say use... that's like a hot take. I don't think I don't think Katy Perry would come at you and be like, "No, I'm like trying to get at yeah. some deep stuff." I mean, and, I guess you know. like Taylor Swift, her newer song, she's kind of speaking up for LGBTQ lights, rights yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So if you have that platform and choose to like try to push society in a certain direction, that's more mm-hmm. beneficial for the society as a whole. But you don't you don't necessarily feel like the weight of that as an artist, like you're, you're not, um, you're not necessarily creating art with that in mind. You're more, well, I, I don't know. I, Are you, I, or like, I, ha- I mean, I've always felt like, okay, I want to say something, even my earlier, like Atlantic stuff, while it's not as maybe heavy handed as American wilderness was, there's, there's things peppered throughout that I'm really like trying to say. Um, I've always been, yeah, always been someone who took the pot platform kind of seriously and 
Um, yeah. Wanted to, I don't know, get some stuff out and say some things. But I, I don't Why? necessarily think that you, if you, I don't think you have to do that. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's what kind of what I'm driving at. Like, do artists have to consider that? Um, yeah. And I like, it's just something I think about a lot. Um, cause art, I mean, art's influential. Like mm-hmm. whether, I think it's, imp- I, I think it it's important not, that there is good, meaningful art and music out there. Yeah. But I don't think that it all has to be like really trying to say something important. Um, but I think it's important that a chunk of it is trying to do that. Yeah, that's fair. And you, f- you feel like you would fit into that category. I hope so. I try to. I mean, I think so too. I'm just, I'm making sure I'm not yeah. like misrepresenting yeah, how you yeah, think about yeah. it. Um, I, yeah, I would, I would say like American wilderness for sure. Like there was a reason that album resonated with me. Like there was a lot on it. Um, and lyrics are a big it, deal to me. I, I, I mainly listen to music for the lyrics. Yeah. But. I mean, it didn't have like the reach that I wanted it to. Like I didn't have millions of album sales or something like that, but it connected with really the, the, the type of person that I was writing it for, which was me <laughs> yeah um and people going through similar situations i it has meant people reach out to me online and stuff it's meant a lot to a lot of people going through stuff yeah. like that which means a lot to me um, yeah, and i'm really yeah. thankful um, but even that. even going back to like the the atlantic record days like take us to the start f- mm-hmm. for example like um even back then i feel like there was there's a reason that that resonated with me too like yeah i mean i was writing like a to B is a good example of something I wrote back. Yeah. Then yeah. That is, I mean, it's talking about death and, mm-hmm. um, and kind of an unknown. I don't know if I would have, there's, it's funny. Like my relationship to songs changes in different ways over time. And especially that one, there's certain lines. Um, cause I was like, songs defi- you've written. Mm-hmm, I was definitely more in the, when I wrote that, would have been more like mainline evangelical in my most of my thinking and stuff. And I, um, there's the line, it's the traveling, not the road that gets you there. And in my, as yeah. I'm writing it, it's like, it's the traveling comma, not the road that gets you or wait, it's the, I was just grammatically correct. It's the traveling comma, not the road comma that gets you there saying that, um, life is about movement and moving forward. I wasn't making mm-hmm. a stance on like, all roads can lead to truth. Now I sing yeah. it and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's the traveling, not the, not the road that gets you there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Does it, um, it kind of means, both so it's interesting that, yeah, it's interesting that your relationship to those songs and lyrics changes. So it doesn't like, it doesn't bother you when people hear a lyric you write and tell you like, Hey, this, this was really meaningful to me because of whatever, re- like this reason. No, I think I and like you're that. thinking in your head, like, that's not what I, I always, so I, I talk about why I wrote songs a little bit more now, but I used to not like to talk about, I felt like it took away the magic a little bit. If I said like, Oh, I wrote this song, oh, this, 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 because I had heard artists do that before. And it was something completely different than how I had um, heard the song. And it would sometimes bum me out. It's like, Oh, that kind of means a little less than I thought it did. I kind of think I did that to you the last time we talked and we're talking about, uh, listen to me now. Yeah. 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 Um, I was, I was actually just looking at the lyrics cause like, I remember that that's, that's one of the ones that really resonated with me. Um, because it, 
Um, let's see. Oh, the the line that says because everybody wants everyone wants you to be what everyone wants to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was there was definitely a period like during that summer. I was like, you know, obviously, like I was kind of smacked in the face with my life with yeah. soul searching. Like I, I was doing some like forced soul searching. Right. And I remember thinking, like, am I even am I doing any of this because this is what I feel like I'm meant to do or what I want to do? Or am I trying to be something or someone that I feel like people are expecting me to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I which I don't think you said is like necessarily what you had in mind when you wrote the lyric. Um, but that's how it struck me at the time. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this when we talked last, but it's an idea I've always loved, but one of my favorite bands, Wilco, they have an album mm-hmm. called sky blue sky. And the last song on that, I'm forgetting what it's called, but Tweety was basically writing about, um, like art and the idea of if you release, so there, there's a lyric um, just remember, it's talking about releasing art into the world. Um, just remember what was yours is everyone's from now on. Like if you choose to publicly mm. release art, it was yours and that's fine. Like there's people that write songs just for themselves and that's fine. But if you release it, yeah. it kind of belongs to everybody at that point. Um, at least yeah. in that way, especially, I think that it'll affect people in a lot of different ways. And that's, that's fine. That's kind of I think it's kind of awesome. Um, yeah. There's kind of this like letting go, mm-hmm. like done with this now. Um, is, is So is that how you like, is that how you look at your, <clears throat> well, your songs stick with you though. Cause like you, you play those, like you try you tour those songs, you travel and play them. Yeah. Um, so like they stay with you in a sense, but like, do you get that feeling when you release an album or a song? Like when you finish writing a song, <clears throat> is there a sense that like, uh, I, I got that out. Like kind of, yeah. Um, it's not like a, I still feel a close connection to a lot of songs and, but that doesn't always stay like some songs, um, will get released and I just like, I I'll stop playing them at shows cause I don't just don't really feel it anymore. And then sometimes it'll mm-hmm. come back around. Like what's an example of that? The last song on <clears throat> take us to the start, um, tangled web. I, mm-hmm. I didn't play that for a long time. I just didn't really didn't really do much for me and now i play it the majority of my shows because it kind of i don't know i feel a connection with it again i try to cool. i try to not phone it in when i play shows so i try to play songs <laughs> that actually mean something to me <laughs> yeah i um yeah it's interesting like i the idea that you're sort of releasing something and and you're still connected to it because you made it but it's you're sort of saying okay world like this is for you mm-hmm. um and they're just going to do with it what they will yeah um i love that idea somebody needs to tell george lucas that that's how it works <laughs> um but uh <laughs> um so the idea then of like so these songs are staying with you and, and you're playing songs that that are meaningful to you um, at shows, uh, and that sort of like cycles in and out with certain songs, like, and now you're doing this cool thing. Um, uh, this like living room tour type of thing, mm-hmm. um, here and there. Yeah. That's been so a big if part people, of my touring since, um, since being independent, it's such a cool idea. So if people aren't familiar with living room shows, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? Yeah. I mean, now it's kind of, I've kind of changed 
how I do things a little bit over the years and just found out what works best for me. But basically, like, I just put up online the cities and addresses of the houses that I'm going to be at. You don't have to buy a ticket or anything. People just show up and they're like, pay what you want kind of shows. Um, but I love it, especially since I have been writing from a more vulnerable place. It seems more appropriate to me to, it feels good singing them in that setting. Um, and being able to like have the, have those kinds of conversations with people just like face to face right there at the shows. Like, I mean, depending on how, where an audience is willing to go, sometimes we get pretty deep um, at, at the shows or sometimes we keep it light and fun, which is fine too. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Are you, um, are you the, like, do you like, like talking to people and interacting with people at shows or like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be, you know, just not necessarily in the mood for it, but I've, I've, just done it so much of the, over the years. I usually am able to, even if I'm, I like pull up to a house or, or a venue or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh, I just want to be home or <laughs> in bed or something like that. I can usually yeah. find it somewhere in myself to, um, to get that's, out of that funk. <laughs> that's the mark of a consummate professional. I think <laughs> that you, you can like find it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, I like, to be honest, there, there are times when I've got like an interview scheduled and I'm just not feeling it, but like, I've committed to it. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then I, every single time that's happened afterwards, I'm always so happy that I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like, this is like, I would do this even if nobody listened to it. Okay. Um, awesome. fortunately people listen, but like <laughs> I would, I would do this anyway. Um, cause I started this mainly for me, I think. Yeah. Um, and so like when you're and it, I, I feel like that's, at least partially where like some of your music is coming from. And if that's where you're coming yeah. from, then a lot you know, of like writing is just for me, but yeah. I don't know how to do much else. So it's also my, my form of income too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. I put it out. Did you, did you, was like, was the plan always to be uh, a musician from and like do that for a living? Well, so I almost went in, I, when I was 16, 17, I thought I wanted to go into the military 16, I guess. Oh really? Um, after high school, I yeah I, um I wanted to go to West Point, and so I went through all this stuff. Like it's not easy to get in, and I almost mm-hmm. so I kind of did, kind of didn't get in. I basically they were like, okay, go to this other military prep school for a year, and then you the next year you can come to West Point. Um, hmm. And so part of the the prep for that military prep school thing was um was the summer before it was supposed to start, you did, there was like a week of a short, like boot camp kind of thing there. And then I think it was, two, was it a month or two months? A longer period of time at Fort Knox. Um, huh. They're like ROTC boot camp thing. Um, I did that and realized, oh shit, this is not for me. I hate <laughs> every part what of it. What was it about it? Oh gosh. I mean, part of it was just all the running. <laughs> um, and, and really it was the super like conformity, which I understand why some of this is necessary for a military to operate, but the conformity mm-hmm. and the unquestioning, like following orders 
Um, Interesting. I was just not having it. <laughs> and you were, I mean, you were young at this point. Right? I was like, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just, so even I at that 18. point, I had just graduated was, from high school. So even at that point, there was something in you that was like, I should be able to ask questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did actually, I don't know if I've told many people, I don't talk about that a lot. There were a lot of parts that really, really sucked. Um, mm. But there was this one, it was towards the end. I knew from after that first week at the, the prep school boot camp, like this is not for me. But I knew that in order to um, be able to like convince my parents and stuff that the decision I was making to completely, because I was fully all in on this life direction, um, to convince them that I truly believed that it was not for me. I should go through the whole thing first. Um, And so it was towards the the end of the time at Fort Knox. I, there was like a week that we spent, I think it was a week, maybe it was a little longer that we spent just out in the woods doing stuff but we were just never in like the the barracks or anything we're just completely um out in the woods and my dude who are, they like partner partner you up with people basically who are, you have each other's back kind of the whole way the dude that they're uh-huh. called battle buddies <laughs> uh-huh, okay. and so my battle buddy while we're out there he got the flu basically out wow. in the woods he was miserable in the i think it was the last day we were doing some it was like some training exercise. I forget exactly what it was, but the the dude who was in charge of our squad, he was an actual like military second lieutenant was like, I, it, so he, I, it was a day we kind of rotated days where we were kind of in charge of this, this platoon. I think it was, I'm forgetting all this, this <laughs> that <sounds> terminology, right. <laughs> but um, I, it was the day I was in charge and Basically, he, we were supposed to push to go like a certain distance and get to a spot by a certain time. This dude who he was in rough shape with the flu. And so the dude who was in the actual military was like on me to get everybody to pick up the pace. But he I was oh. like seriously just worried that this dude could die or like something could happen. So I'm like, no, yeah. we're taking it easy and we'll get there when we get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I did that because I mean, I knew at that point that. I'm not sticking with this. So I'm doing what's best for this person instead of like sure. this made up bullshit that we're doing where we have to be wherever by a certain time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand that there are situations, real life situations where maybe you would have to, you know, be for sure. But this was not one of but those. But that's not I one was, of Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, that's really interesting. Anyway, so how did we get on that? This... You, oh, you asked what music, if music was what yeah. I was going to do. Um, was this before or after your dad had given you that guitar then? It was after. So I started I started kind of dabbling in songwriting when I was around 16. So it was just before that. Okay. So when so I So you were already interested in music, yeah. but you still felt like this was So I came back. It. Yeah, I came back and I went to community college um going for a mass communications degree because basically that meant I had no idea what I really wanted to do. I kind of I kind of <laughs> thought I might want to be a journalist. Um, cause I'd always been interested in writing and, but I just started playing huh. guitar and writing songs more and stuff. And then when I guess I was like 19, some friends and I formed a band and that was the, that was, that was the only band I was ever in, but we played in central Florida and stuff. And then I started yeah. doing my own thing, but from so that, so I like... did after like, I guess when we started the band, 
I that's I dropped out of community college after like a year and a half because I was like, okay, this I really don't know what I'm going to do with this mass communications degree. I don't feel that passionately about being a journalist or whatever, but I do feel passionately about playing music. So I'm going to kind of commit to that and really go for it. Right on. So you're like a, an all or nothing kind of guy. I guess I can be, or at least maybe I was more so at that time when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to be that way yeah. when you're younger, I yeah. think. Um, no, that's really interesting. So like, but you guys started the band and then at that point you were like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And mm-hmm. if it works, it works. Yeah. And it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great. I got, man, I got lucky though. Like, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but how, how I signed to Atlantic was, um, the, I had, I think it was most, I think it was just honey. Let me sing you a song up on my, MySpace page. And some, I got this randomly one day. It, I think it was like the day, I, I want to say the day after that I pr- proposed to my wife. Um, I had this MySpace message saying like, hey, I'm so-and-so from Atlantic Records. Heard this song, really love it. I would love to talk more. And I was like, nobody from Atlantic Records is sending me a MySpace message. This has to be bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But I called the number and it was the actual Atlantic Records and um, stuff kind of happened from there. And I, so I actually signed with the label. I think it was like two weeks after I got married. Cause there was this whole process between where I would go out to, I took several trips out to Los Angeles to meet with producers. And that's where I ended up um, meeting Eric Ross, the dude I mentioned earlier, who I recorded cool. all my stuff with Atlantic on. Um, yeah, we met and started recording like some demos and stuff and kind of hit it off and yeah, stuff kind of went from there. That's it was really crazy cool. though. It was wild because I mean, I w- I grew up, I would say, fairly sheltered. Um, yeah. I was homeschooled through my whole, like through the whole the whole way, mm-hmm. um, and just like very much in church culture and everything. And there were, yeah, going out to so after we got married, uh, originally I got married, we was when I was supposed to be like starting on the first record so um she was a teacher at the time and it was summer so we both went out to los angeles and she was i think i was out there a total of three months but she was out, able to be out there um the first two months with me and it, it was an awesome time we were That's cool. newly married we were in like a completely new different place kind of exploring new things and um we were living in this there's it's kind of this infamous apartment like short-term apartment complex called the um I'm blanking on it. The Woodland, not the Woodland, the Oakwood apartments. Okay. It's been in, it was in like on the episode of Entourage. It was, okay. Oh, have you seen the show, um, Judd Apatow's show Love on Netflix? No, I haven't. Okay. So the, like the main character, he lives, they don't call they call it something else, but he lives in the Oakwood apartment. So, oh, so it okay. Has cool. This, has this reputation of like people go, the, that's where people stay when they're like, first moved to Los Angeles and they're like, I want to be an actor and they're like, yeah. going for it. So <laughs> that's really cool. That's really cool. That actually, so, um, man, that's how, you know, I, I was going to say how lucky, um, and I think that's the word you used, but like you, it's not necessarily luck if you, you did the work, like you yeah. were writing the songs and you like put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody found it, which is, you know, the goal. Yeah. Anyway. There's um, I, yeah, there's an element of luck, but I guess a lot of it is um, a yeah. culmination of a lot of playing 
my guitar and writing songs on my yeah. floor in my bedroom and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hard work. Yeah. Um, but I, I was going to ask if you had, um, like if anybody's listening and they're like interested in getting into like music or being a musician or, mm-hmm. or any of this, do you have advice for, for people that are looking to do that? Um, I mean, a lot of it is just that a lot of practicing and, and I, I touched on this earlier, but I may have said this in the part that I didn't record in take two, (laughs) maybe not in take three, but just playing in front of people is so valuable. Um, so get in front of people as much as you can, because it's way different than just playing in your room or whatever. You're actually like, there's so much more at stake that it causes you to hone your craft. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird in my experience, it's playing by yourself and playing in front of people. Like when you play in front of people, especially the first few times, it's almost like playing for the first time. Like yeah. Yeah. There's something about it like everything you feel like you knew just kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Um, right? Like it sucks a little bit the first few mm-hmm. times. Um And you're so at least me, I can be like pretty self-conscious in general. You're like super self-conscious because like oh shit all these people are looking at me don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up (laughs) yeah uh and then you mess up and i used to be early in my career i was really bad at this if i did mess up on a show it would ruin the whole rest of the show for me um yeah now i I can really just laugh it off and keep playing whatever it's not yeah because one most people aren't most people don't know yeah like not like 90 percent of the time i would be beating myself up the whole, like I mess up in the second song. I'm beating myself up the whole rest of the set for something that nobody, or maybe like one or two people would have even picked up on. (laughs) But the other thing is like, they want you to do well. Like audiences want you to do well. Yeah. Yes. So if you mess up, they aren't like, what? I I have. Yeah. I guess that's, yeah. I, that's something I had to learn. I guess, um, that people aren't, staying there critiquing like they buy a ticket for to the show because they want to yeah. come out and have a good time yeah uh, so if you mess up like yeah i'd like i've dude i've seen so many live shows where the artist will like start a song and like forget lyrics or they'll just be in the wrong key or whatever oh i do and that they'll just like completely stop <laughs> and they'll just be like you know what forgot the lyrics or like whatever like they'll make a little joke about it mm-hmm. they'll start again and everything's fine and like everybody's like ha 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 it's like this sometimes now moment. like i can't i'll like restart a song get to the same place i can't remember the lyrics I'll either just make something up <laughs> stupid or like just blah, 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 or like <laughs> insert lyrics just here or something. It. And it's, it's fine. <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> they laugh. And they, that's sometimes, sometimes it ends up being like the favorite part of the show, which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's the stuff like, it's like, it's a break in the routine. Like mm-hmm. everybody's seen a show where the artist goes and like play songs and everybody yeah. goes home. But like you, because the audience wants you to do well, and then something like that, like that's a real moment. Like that's an honest moment. Speaking of like yeah. vulnerability and honesty and like the audience gets to be a part of that. They're like, and then they get to tell you like, it's okay. Yeah. They get to, they get to give you the feedback of like, Hey, we're here. Everything's fine. Like yeah. do your thing. You know, yeah. that's cool. That's a cool moment. Um, okay. So the question that I ask everybody on the show, um, and you've, you've been asked this question before. Um, <laughs> But the, so the the title of the podcast is, is good humans. And, um, it, again, I, like, I guess I started it mostly for me 
because I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to be a good human in the world and I want to know how other people are doing it and what they think it is. So the question is from, from your perspective and in your experience, what does it mean to even be a good human? Try to remember what I said. Well, I do know part of what I said last time was I gave an example, um, which I'll give the same example. But first, I think being a good human is being just being kind, being loving, being empathetic. Um, I think that goes a really, really long way. Um, but the example I gave last time, because I do have a 16 month old and mm -hmm. we don't watch a lot of TV, but we do pretty much the only show we watch is Mr. Rogers. Um, mm, yeah. And man, what a great dude. He, yeah, just his kindness and the, the amount of, of representation he has on the show, like all, people of all different races, people, disabled kids and yeah. um it's so cool and there's just something he it's like he never the part of um lots of people that is like full of wonder and like whatever the part of you that is, is a child never died with him it's there fully alive and well and yeah um it's beautiful he uh, he ends um Every show, like as he's he sings a song, he's walking out and basically says like, "You, I forget the exact wording he says, but it's basically like you're fine how you are. You can be loved. You can love and be loved." Um, yeah, makes me like tear up just even like something so simple in in a children's show that's so profound is incredible. Yeah. Dude, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, we watched "Won't You Be My Neighbor." Yeah, uh, my wife and I. It's like, so good. It's been a while. It's, it was before we moved. So it's been a, a good like four or five months. Um, and she wasn't like, now I'm going to tear up, but like, she wasn't looking at me like while we were watching it, we were just watching it. And for like the last half of that, I was like just fully in tears, just yeah. bawling. Yes. Um, so she looked over at me after we got done watching it and was like surprised that I was crying. She didn't know I was quick. crying. <laughs> yeah. And, um, she was like, what's, you know, what's wrong? Uh, and I couldn't get it out in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we were talking about it later and I was like, I'm, I'm so sad that we don't have that mm -hmm. anymore in the world. Like there are really good people in the world. I don't feel like I can point to anybody like him yeah. right now that we have and i'm Maybe so sad about it hard but it's yeah i'm so sad that like somebody like that doesn't come to mind immediately and i'm also sad that like he did amazing work and like he's he's a household name i'm sure mm -hmm. still but it also makes me a little sad that like he got he got pbs um but th for some reason there's not we all know how valuable he was yeah. and is, but for some reason, like he, it was just PBS. Yeah. I mean, and I get like, that in watching the show, like, and I think they say this in the documentary, like it's not well done television. It's, no, it's not <laughs> super well produced, but yeah. like that's, that's again, that's part of the magic. Like he's like, he's giving you nods to the fact that like, it's, it's all right to imagine and it's all yeah. right to pretend and it's all right. Like that's where, uh, like, like one of my favorite things that he says, 
Yeah. And one of my favorite things that he says is feelings are manageable and mentionable. Um, and they talked about in the documentary how like that was how it seemed that he worked a lot of his own feelings. That was like through yeah. the like quote unquote pretend work that he was doing. Um, yeah, it was interesting how he was talking, he, how he talked about feelings and, and fully incorporated like angry, sad feelings. Whenever mm-hmm. he has, my son's favorite moments are when he has a musician on. Um, like he yeah. had Yo-Yo Ma on it and he's just like transfixed. But whenever yeah. he has a musician, he always asks them like, what kind of, what would you play if you were angry or sad and stuff like that? And yeah. basically talking about ways to express anger and sadness in, in healthy mm-hmm. ways. Um, yeah. And embracing. So like emotionally healthy to have like just the tools for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the embracing the, the entirety of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And teaching kids, it's all part of it. Yeah. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be scared. Yeah. Talk about it. Like, you know, it's okay to work all that out. And it's okay to work all that out outwardly. Yeah. Um, you don't have to keep it all in. Such a, That's a good answer and <laughs> a great example. Man, there, Remember um, the part in the documentary? Um, I mean, I, I think I cried then, but were you talking to the kid in the wheelchair? Yeah, yeah. I like that. It, it came on like a couple weeks ago when River and I were watching my oh, that episode, that episode came on and I lost it. Yeah. Like yeah. Cause I don't think, I don't think even river, I think Rachel was pregnant when we saw the documentary. Um, and this, and just watching it as a father now and being like, man, <laughs> if that were my kid yeah. and this dude is like <laughs> the way he's talking to him, just like a, like, human to mm-hmm. human is incredible. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, such a genuine caring connection. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's, it's not like, um, not patronizing well, we have to have, way, or like we yeah. have to have this kid on or like, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, that reminds me of the moment to the African-American, um, mailman that was on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment, which was like groundbreaking in television, but yeah. the moment when he had him like, <clears throat> It was, he had his feet, Mr. Rogers had his feet in a pool mm-hmm. he was sitting outside and his mailman came by to drop off the mail and he invited him to like come and also. Yeah. It was supposed to be, the setting was like, Oh, it's a hot day. Like I'm out here. Yeah. So, and he invited and him to... the, the fact that he was, man, the fact that he was like, and he, he didn't do it. It wasn't like this big social protest. Right. That was, yeah. Like, he did a vibe. lot of things like that. Just like, yeah, it was this just, is, see, this is normal. This is, yeah, this is it was it just, is. this is, we're all human beings and can we please act like it? You know, like it was, yeah, such a great dude that thank you for bringing up that example again. Um, <laughs> so great. I like, I, if I could force everybody in the world to watch Mr. Rogers, I think I would. Um, so yeah, go watch Mr. Rogers, everybody. Um, <laughs> or at least the documentary, which is, I think is on HBO now. HBO now or HBO go. Yeah. It was on Netflix yes. a little bit, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They took it down, but yeah, it's, it's still available. Pay the money if you have to pay it. <laughs> yeah, it. Or whatever. It's, yeah. It's definitely worth it. You'll cry too. Um, well, man, do you, uh, we talked about a lot. Was there anything else in your mind that you wanted to make sure we covered or like, I don't think so. I that you feel we, like you want to get into? Not that I can think of. We covered, covered a lot. I like, I think I like this one better. I mean, the other Me one was too. a good conversation, but it makes sense to me that, so I'm very much a person who 
it takes me a little bit to open up to somebody new. So since that was like our first conversation last time, yeah. um, I mean, we got into some stuff, yeah. but I think, I don't know. I think I was a little, maybe a little more open this time because we're a little more familiar with each other. Right Good. Me too. I think, um, yeah, man, I like, I, I tell everybody, I, like I always try to allow like, I don't know, one and a half, two hours for a conversation. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like the last hour is when like, that's yeah. the actual good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it like a second conversation is, is definitely better than a first, I think. But yeah, this is, this is good stuff. I, I think it's going to be helpful for people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for people to hear it. So, um, is there any place if people are like wanting to to know more about you, your music, um, yeah. you know, check your stuff out? Like, where do you prefer people find all that? I mean, I have my website is matthires.com and tour dates and stuff is all there. Um, um, all my music is pretty much wherever you listen to music, Spotify, iTunes or Apple Music and Amazon. Um, if you want to purchase a CD or vinyl record. Um, that stuff is through, um, Bandcamp. So I think the website for that is matthires.bandcamp.com. That sounds right. I have the, I have the tab open on my other <laughs> laptop. Um, well, cool, man. I, I appreciate you, like I said, doing this again. Um, yeah, this was fun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save like three copies of okay. my audio this time. Yeah, I'll make, make sure, sure you do the happens. same. Let me make sure um, that this is what. What if I just looked and this wasn't recording anymore? No, we're you good. know, then I'd, I'd be like, "Cool, <laughs> we we had an even better conversation. Everything's fine." Um, Looks like it is. Right on. I I think. Yeah, I'd like. Sometimes I wrap up an interview and I'm like, "Did I do everything I was supposed to do?" And I think I did. I asked you the important question, so. Yeah, I think we're good. Um, yeah, listeners, go uh, go check out Matt's music. Um, I'm partial to Take Us to the Start and American Wilderness, but uh, all of it is really, really good. Even the the first live album. Um, uh, that... Stay stay away from that one. Don't let, <laughs> I was going to say, don't Matt. let it be your first impression <laughs> is what I'll say. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, yeah, Matt doesn't care for that one, but I, I like it too. Uh but yeah, uh, check out his music. Um, go be nice to Matt on on social media. Go send him a nice message on Instagram yeah, or something and, and say hi. Um, and until next week, be good to each other. <laughs>